0: Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Welcome to the 50th episode of Disneyland for Designers. Oh, what an epic journey it has been. Before I talk about today's theme, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. If you're feeling stressed and worn out about the fact that the annual pass program has dissolved in sunset, head over to youtube.com slash adventures design. I've put together a video breaking down. Disneyland president Ken Potrock statement, where I think you will find that there is some optimism inside of that. And a lot of people have told me this is a very positive message I've spread where a lot of other content creators were being sad and being negative. I saw no reason for that. Of course it hurts that we don't have the past. Of course it hurts that things are going to be different, but this whole world has been all about accepting what's different over its last 12 months. So this is my attempt to break down the statement in a way that will make you feel better. And speaking of breaking down things in a way that'll make you feel better. Why don't you join me this Friday, the 13th hour that's 1 PM Disneyland time over on YouTube. When I do a weekly live stream where I hang out with club 1313 and we break down all of the news that's happened over the week. This is so much different than most Disneyland live streams. We actually work our way through all the topics that we promise. We stay on topic, but it's also a fantastic conversation between me and, and you, the audience of this content and fellow true believers of the magic in the way that we all love it. So join me every Friday at 1 p.m. over on YouTube and be a part of the community, but most importantly, be a part of the conversation. All right, episode 50. What do you do for the 50th episode of your podcast all about Disneyland through the eyes of a designer? Well, it seemed like I had to take on a pretty big, a pretty monumental part of the park. And to me, there is no part of Disneyland that is more precious. That is more, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Sacred. What is more sacred inside the walls of Disneyland than its heart, its icon, Sleeping Beauty's castle? So for the 50th episode, I'm not going to bore you. With all the fun facts that you've probably seen or heard a thousand times, I'm not going to tell you about the magic of Force Perspective, although it is magical. I'm going to tell you exactly why I love this building and what I think it means to not only me, but to everyone that is lucky enough to step inside the gates and go through the tunnel of the right of Disneyland. And then afterwards, my partner in this project, Jared Maruyama, We'll visit me for a long, fun hangout conversation about our memories of this castle, how we've each worked with it professionally when doing work for Wonderground Gallery and Disneyland Consumer Products. It's a fun conversation, but first, I want to try to do the impossible. I want to try to explain to you, in words, the feelings of true love. It's Disneyland for Designers episode 50, the story of Sleeping Beauty's Castle. The layout of Disneyland is defined from left to right or west to east as the American timeline. Our rugged past, starting in the far west, working over to our exploration around the world, and then to the far right, to the far east, our promise of the future. Then bottom to top, or south to north, whichever way is easier for you to understand. That is our personal timeline. Main Street. USA is a romantic version of the world that we live in today. Walt said it was grandfather's main street, but I believe that for all of us, it's a reminder of a couple of buildings in the city or town that we're from that remind us there was just a simpler, a more elegant way of living before the world started moving so fast. And at the end of this romantic version of this world that we live in today, above it lies Fantasyland where imagination, childhood, and fantasy unlocks and drifts off into that escapism part of all of our brains. And regardless of your age, to quote one of my favorite holiday songs from Nat King Cole, to kids from one to 92, Fantasyland is just good old-fashioned escapism for anyone who enters into its soil. But what lies between Our reality on Main Street, USA, and our imaginations off in Fantasyland is our heart. And it happens to also be the heart of Disneyland, Sleeping Beauty's Castle, which today I'm going to explain to you is so much more than a building, so much more than forced perspective, so much more than a handful of fun facts and history regurgitated at you, even though that you could... Move your lips along as the narrator tells it to you. Today I want to explain to you why in my heart and in my emotions, it is so much more than a building. Over the years, it's become an icon, a logo, and to many of us, an old friend. Greeting us at the end of our epic voyage down Main Street, USA. Dare I say, the most perfect land ever created inside the walls of Disneyland. Disneyland. It gives us all a surreal option at the end of our travels. Down this main street, a more romantic version of this world that we live in. Our senses are already heightened. We already have a little spring on our step. But at the end of that journey, there she lies, our old friend, the Sleeping Beauty Castle. And when we think of a castle, you can think of a doom, gloom, medieval, large structure to keep away those that you don't want on the interior of its walls. But this castle, by design, was designed to be so much more friendlier than frightening. It's designed in a way with its offset perspective and its bizarre proportions. It's suggesting to us, somewhere between building and toy, that this is a welcoming building. This is a place of happiness. Not a castle, protecting its citizens on the inside from vandals and villains on the outside, but a castle offering a hug to anyone who steps inside the warm embrace of its walls. And gee, I wish they still told new stories at the Disneyland Resort. It sucks that all these attractions have to be themed after new movies and cartoons and products that I don't consume. Well, this castle, constructed and open to the public, July 17th, 1955, was promoting a movie that would not come out until four years later in 1959. For the complainers of no original stories are ever told at Disneyland anymore, this was not an original story either. This thing that we love so much was a giant billboard for a movie to come. Cinderella was already in theaters, could have easily been the companion piece to the movie that people already knew and loved. But Walt, always being a gambler, always being a marketer, and dare I say, always being close to genius, said, no, let's let this castle promote the next film. So the park's icon was tethered to a film that wouldn't release until four years later. And even though the castle is named Sleeping Beauty, apostrophe S, Castle, declaring her ownership of this building that we all love so much. Even though it's named after her, it's not as if she's ever seen as the queen of Disneyland. In fact, I don't believe that she gets any more special treatment than any other princess or queen inside the park. In fact, I feel as if Briar Rose or Princess Aurora, whichever you feel to call her, operates level-headed, knowing that this structure named after her is so much bigger than her, her film, her presence. So even though it is attributed to that film, it is so much larger than that picture, so much larger than that moment or that property. Because after all, it's the heart of Disneyland. And the castle is so much bigger than the park. And the way that Mickey Mouse is so much bigger than the company that spawned him. For the first two years, there was no walkthrough for Sleeping Beauty's castle. It was just like Mickey Mouse. It was a mascot for Walt's new theme park. And until Matterhorn, it was the largest structure at the park, standing 77 feet tall, or if you want to go by stories, roughly five and a half stories tall. But looking so much taller back then, with nothing really next to it, giving the forced perspective all of its magic and making it feel emotionally like the tallest building in all of Orange County. Walt was a little dissatisfied that it was just an icon, that it was just a mascot and wanted it to do more. And two years later, they would construct the walkthrough. And I'm not taking anything away from the walkthrough that exists inside of it. But when I think about my attachment to this building, and I think about societies and the Disney culture's attachment to this building. The walkthrough is a drip of water and a big ocean of happiness. And you ask yourself, there was land next to Sleeping Beauty's castle. Why was it never materialized through the work of Disney magic that you go into the castle, you navigate yourself into the square footage where Snow White exists? Yes. After all, the Snow White that we have now will be the third incarnation of that attraction. They tore it down to the studs once. Why did that parcel of land not become an extension of the castle? Or when Pinocchio showed up in 1983, the rebirth of Fantasyland. What a perfect time did the magic of Disney to navigate us over into that space and make us think we're exploring an attraction inside the castle. Or going up to the new millennial when they redid the Fantasy Fair area. Taking the land that was used as plaza gardens they could have easily, through the art of Disney, got us over in that space and made us think we're finally inside of the castle. That's three great attempts over the last 65 years where they could have taken a bit of land and make this castle fully materialize into an adventure and create a real Sleeping Beauty castle experience for all, young and for old, finally making us feel as if we got to experience the magic inside of the castle. But because like Mickey Mouse, this building is bigger than life. It's a construct of our imagination. It symbolizes escapism and love. It simply needs nothing more than being what it is. A peacefulness that doesn't exist too much in these faster and definitely way more complicated times. Mickey Mouse never had his own attraction or his own major movie because it would be a gamble to work with that brand. What if the attraction wasn't successful? What if the movie failed? How would it tarnish our near-perfect mascot? And Sleeping Beauty's Castle is the same way. It simply can just be what it is, which is magical to all of us. And there's no reason to double down on that magic. There's no reason to bet against trying to somehow do the impossible and make something perfect even better and in my estimation over its 65 years of being the center of the park the best thing that ever happened to it was when it became a canvas for storytelling at Disneyland and I mean it always told us the stories that we wanted to hear standing in front of that castle may remind you of the best birthday that you ever had and as time goes on and people go away it may be the best memory that you had of mom dad grandma or pop pop many people have seen the castle as a representation of true love and on bended knee asked a lover to be theirs for the very rest of their life living happily ever after while standing inside the happiest place on earth and sometimes the emotions of the building and a magical day It might just get a random kiss from a spouse that over years of marriage and building a family and building a household, maybe it's just emotionally drifted away over time and standing there and feeling the warmth embrace just reminds them of what matters and who they love the most. And most importantly, the castle for thousands and thousands of sick children has created a wish to get away to this land where happiness is guaranteed and not something earned between chemo visits. This castle has told us all the stories that we wanted to hear over the years and it still does. But what's made it a little extra special is that once per night, half past the 21st hour of the day, the lights all dim on Main Street and the heart of Disneyland beats Telling us a story of one man's vision, allowing us to visit all of our friends over the span of time that have come along with us on life's path, and singing to us the songs that remind us of being younger, or of our children being younger. Songs that remind us all of how far we have come and how we have drifted away from that desperate age of innocence. Building an attraction inside or adjacent to Sleeping Beauty's castle, that's a bit of a gamble. But letting the castle become a movie screen, a central icon of entertainment for all of those that can crowd around it, there's no gamble there. That's a safe bet on making this community feel even more attached to these characters, to these songs, but more specifically, to this park and to that structure. Even though it feels... Lake Sleeping Beauty belongs to all of us. For Walt Disney, it actually was his castle. You see, this building, Sleeping Beauty's castle, is the bookend of greatness. It's at the end of a very, very long shelf full of all of his accomplishments. And it holds up all the rest along the way. This park and this icon represents his last Big gamble, but maybe, dare I say, his biggest win. Because, friends, there's not many people that have made something that have made more people happy than Walt's original kingdom. And sitting in the middle of it, just above the compass rose, is Walt's castle. The only one that he ever lived to see, the only one he ever got to help design, and the only one that he ever got to walk through. And why does it sit here in front of the compass rose? Is it to signify always follow your heart as your life's navigation? Or is it let your imagination be your true north as it sets north of the rose? Or is it to remind you that you found your way to Disneyland for a day of happiness and memories that will last a lifetime? You don't need a compass to tell you all of this. You know where you are as soon as you saw all 77 feet of greatness greeting you at the end of your first peak down Main Street. You're at Disneyland. You're home now. And Sleeping Beauty always reminds you of exactly how far you've come to be here today. And not too far away, just steps to the south. Standing on a pedestal, you'll see the partners greeting to all those that come to this happy place. You see, those partners, Mickey and Walt, they built this land for you and for me and for generations to come. And they stand in front of this icon just reminding you not only the distance they traveled to get to this moment, but that everything that you go through in life is always going to be better with a partner. So sure, I could have told you fun facts and I could have given you the history, but to me, this building means so much more than just being a building, just being an icon, just being a loco. It reminds me of being in love, being in love with my life and how far I've gone to be in a position where I get to enjoy another day at Disneyland. Jared, how are you doing? Welcome back to the show, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. It's been a while. It has been a while, but 50 episodes of Disneyland for Designers. And if I have to thank anybody for this project, it's you. So thank you so much for helping me do this, being adaptive as it's grown and and sort of become its own thing. And uh, I really appreciate your, your friendship and your participation in this wild project.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much for having me all this time. And who would have thought this year would have been or this past year would have been uh, such an interesting time to
0: do this for Disney you know <laughs> have a Disney subject matter. yeah, and an interesting tra- time to try to keep the magic alive and keep yes keep people interested in something when it's become sort of a depressing topic and not a topic that there's uh, a lot of adventure surrounding. So it's been a very interesting time to just take it upon oneself to be like, I think now's a good time to try to tell the Disney story. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, like everyone's just kind of sitting around waiting for parks to open or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, even less than that, right? Like just smaller stores to open for to get excited about things. Uh, You know, vaccination site at Disneyland. That's pretty exciting. Ta-da, here Um, we are.
0: Yeah, let's kind of forget where we're at in 2021, and I know you're excited to do that exercise. Mm. I want to know from you, for someone that has been going to the disneyland resort much longer than i have can you go back in your mind's eye and remember the first impression the first time that you got to see sleeping beauty's castle with young unjaded adult eyes uh you know it's fuzzy i do remember it and i
1: think um you know memories of things like small world for me were more impactful than the actual castle i mean yeah. the castle is always there and you you know you're very aware of it and when you're young i do remember it looking very big yeah. and then <laughs> not coming back to disneyland until i was an adult um and and realizing how small it was and then going on to disney world and saying oh it's even smaller than <laughs> than i thought right um so yeah you did you know going at those different ages and with so much time in between you really got that perspective feeling um, so kind of nice to be able to visit throughout the years like that um, but yeah I, I it's a it's vague to me it wasn't impactful like I thought oh this is the thing you know I came to see the castle everything when I was small was about like rides not so much characters but more rides and experiences
0: Sure because uh, as a kid, that's all systems go. You're experiencing all of your, your um, senses at once. Yeah. And largely, you know, Sleeping Beauty's Castle, even though, you know, two years after its opening, they would install the walkthrough. It's mm-hmm. a display item. You know, it yeah. is a big, beautiful display item that I think you learn to appreciate and get more attached to as you go on as an adult. It's funny that you mentioned that the first time that you saw it and then you return as an adult how small it had felt because you had gotten so much bigger and your Mm -hmm. world had sort of adjusted its size. It it always reminds me of, I remember being a kid and I couldn't look into the medicine cabinet. And I remember one day I saw the top of my head walk by. And then (laughs) at one moment in your life before you part ways with mom and dad, you're like shaving in that mirror. And it's just, I think Sleeping Beauty Castle is one of those sort of things like you know, measuring your kid's height on the doorframe and just how the scale of this thing really changes as you grow. I had the exact opposite reaction as mm-hmm. you I would see Sleeping Beauty's castle after seeing Cinderella's. And mm-hmm. I remember you as a kid, this, the, or not you as a kid, but me as a kid, right. seeing Sleeping Beauty's castle. It's not one of my big memories of my mm-hmm. epic late seventies trip to, to Walt Disney world. I like you, I remember being terrified at the haunted mansion. I remember mm-hmm. being terrified on Atopia because uh, the kid that was driving, I felt like he was going too fast. I was, <laughs> I was very, very young. And um, I also remember the canopies outside of the Holly Jolly uh, bakery there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when I set foot into Disneyland and I got to the end of Main Street and I saw the canopies, you know, the, the striped canopies. Mm-hmm. There was just this odd sense of familiarity with the white sort of decorative cast iron uh, chairs that sit out front. Like it was such a weird thing that I'd felt like I had time traveled back to like 1979 and being like four and a half years old. Be like, Oh, I, I've, I've kind of been here before. But then seeing Sleeping Beauty's Castle, it felt more like to me as an adult that had spent a lot of time, um, Studying design and architecture and have seen the other castle three times prior, it felt to me more like a logo or more like a yes. castle and a train village. And I bizarrely really enjoyed that, but that was an intellectual experience versus just being a kid and be like, Holy hell, what is this thing?
1: Exactly. And you know, it was, um, I think I saw it on TV in terms of the wonderful world of Disney opening oh, and yeah. all that, oh, yeah. all those variations. And it doesn't look the same, no. you know. Like you get, and and when you're young, you don't have this idea of a graphic representation as opposed to the reality. So you get there and you kind of think, "Whoa, this is really tiny compared to like um, what you saw on TV." It wasn't sort of that like lights behind it like that, right? And, and right. The magic of it. I, I do remember fireworks around there, and the whole Tinkerbell thing. That was very uh, exciting. Um, and, and so you know, everything sort of. Revolves around the castle without it being about the castle.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, and whenever you see aerial footage of it, mm-hmm. or where they're going to the top of it, it it looks so much like a prop in a train village. Like you really, yeah, yeah. you know, because Sleeping Beauty's castle has the benefit of all the landscaping around it mm-hmm. and how they've really groomed everything in that tiny footprint on how it relates to the castle. But once you see an overhead shot or one of those fast drone shots where you're supposed to be flying along with Tinkerbell or whatever, um, that's when you really see all the gimmicks that just make it look like this little cartoon structure, you know, what fills smack dab in the middle of the park, even though it's extremely offset to the center.
1: For sure. It's just like at the end of Soarin', right? When you get that shot coming over it. Yeah. even in that shot, because it's nighttime and it's the holidays, the small world facade gets more (laughs) of the (laughs) attention in that shot. You kind of breeze right over, you know, the castle, but um, yeah, you're right. The minute you're taken out of that forced perspective that we're supposed to see it at, it it takes on that whole storybook land
0: feel. When you're a creative, you always have a different vision on how things are built because you know the creative process. And whenever Mm -hmm. I think about the Soren film, I always think about them editing it and the guy being like I'm going to throw Disneyland in the last scene and see how that feels right. <laughs> because that last scene taking you over main street sort of you almost stop gliding right at the edge of the castle mm-hmm. you can see the holiday lights everywhere the fireworks coming up like I always applaud You know, because I've been on that before when others have applauded and it makes it feel so much more um, magical and like you you went on this amazing experience. And to me, that last scene of Soren is what takes a a, a great ride and just tips it over the edge to phenomenal and magical.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was, um, I remember the first time that, you know, it's impactful. And I do remember the first time I rode that. And it's like, uh, it was one of the few new rides that sort of gives you that sense of wonder again about like oh that's amazing what Disney can do you know you think like that's so simple the concept is so simple and yet you know when you try to explain it to people uh, it's kind of like sounds like you're in front of a movie screen but you know you're trying to be like oh no and everything just works you know even the gimmicks you smell oranges and everyone gets very excited about that kind of stuff Uh, it's one of the last rides even now I think that really sort of like shook you out of what you knew
0: about a a Disney attraction it's 100% my dad's favorite ride mm-hmm. like he just absolutely thinks it's amazing he loves it and i want to just emphasize my dad is far from being a disney guy right right, he, right
1: same with my mom my mom loved that ride too yeah
0: and and i also think that for disney's california adventure it's one of the few rides over there that works the disney magic you know <laughs> a lot of those rides are sort of practical it's more about amusement and less about the the magic and the storytelling Right. And it's one that really sort of bridges the gap between the two parks. And it's funny to me um, how important that last scene is to, to yes. getting back to Disneyland, especially when you're looking at California as a whole and yes. that being the location. Like, I love the few parts in Disneyland where they use the term Disneyland comma California as if mm-hmm. it's its own little municipality inside of the, the great state. Uh, but there is this weird feeling about when you're a kid and you see the castle and everybody's trying to hype you on it. You almost feel uh, a Santa Claus type moment when you realize there's nothing happening there. Like, mm-hmm. what's the big deal? There's nothing happening there. And Yeah, it's not a ride. or a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember feeling sort of robbed or cheated when you realize what I can't go in it there's nothing there's not an apartment in there like like it's not a hotel like do you remember that sort of Rob type vibe that there's nothing going on here Um. so
1: I don't it's, it's so funny because expectations now as an adult uh, and just having the whole you know history of going to the parks and everything like it's so different yeah. now like right? you go to those places when you're little and and the expectations are kind of like you don't have them and unless your parents are really into it and they're sort of forcing you to look right, at things it. and yeah then you kind of just you know where are we going oh you're getting pushed in all these different directions i do remember feeling like going through the castle which i thought was very cool but then coming on the other side and thinking like oh, that was it. 10 feet? You know, we didn't go through more or. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so shallow. It was just that little bit of hallway we went through. But then you're instantly distracted by the carousel and and everything else that's going on. there. So I don't think I lingered on it very long. But I do remember thinking like, oh, okay, you know, it's it's the castle. Where are we going next? And and what are we doing?
0: I just remember getting to Walt Disney World as an adult, Mm. looking at the castle and really understanding that it wasn't my brain was comprehending it's not as big as they're trying to make me believe and then when I said so is it like can we go to a restaurant in there like and everything well there's not really anything to do in there I just remember being like what What? yeah why is that the icon and you can't do anything in it um I just remember sort of feeling this like well what's the big deal and and feeling cheated about it And, and as we started out as you get older You realize that it's not all rides or attractions and sort of the the heart of the park, and then it settles in, which gets me to this topic I'd love to ask you about. When Hong Kong opened Mm. up, they just did an exact one to one replica of our castle. And I would say that it actually looked better in Hong Kong, but it had, because it had grassy hills and mountains behind it, like it had the natural sort of landscaping. Of a castle, whereas in Anaheim, it's like we need to kind of hide this thing that it's in the middle of this hustling, bustling city. But I guess to feel more ownership over their park, they would go and edit it. And, you know, this last year, the transformation was completed of the Castle of Magical Dreams. Mm -hmm. Two part question. (laughs) What do you think of that transformation?
1: Yeah. And what do you think Um, the actual outrage
0: would be if they ever decided to do anything to the castle here in Anaheim?
1: Uh, yeah, that, I mean, to address that first, yeah, no, I don't, I feel like they couldn't or shouldn't, you know, they just put a new coat of paint, a slightly different blue and it's, um, How controversial. They? How yeah, so. dare they? How you have uh, spit
0: on my childhood by painting that too blue.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be like, I don't know, like, like painting the Statue of Liberty a different color. or something. you know, like it just, maybe she needs a friend, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, so no, I don't think that, but, uh, as for the, the other part of it with the, the castle, um. If you just saw that castle without having seen the previous castle, maybe you'd think like, oh, impressive. It's massive. It pays tribute to the, you know, the little Disneyland one, but it also looks weird. As it is now, to me, it looks like if you put a castle on top of Snoopy's doghouse,
0: you know, <laughs>
1: you are like, you just can't, don't, all you can see is the difference there. Right? Don't give
0: knots any ideas because they might right, do. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I see. I just see the little castle and, the, and then this backdrop of this massive castle that was just plunked on top, it feels like. And it, it wasn't. I don't want to, you know, over simplify. I, I like the, the thought of it that they're trying to sort of make it its own castle. Um, but it's hard for me to, to see it. And I haven't been to that park. So yeah. maybe once I was there, the, the feeling would be, would be different.
0: I have to say that I was pretty impressed. Because I, what I enjoy about Disneyland from a designer's perspective... And this is always my go-to example, so forgive me if I'm a broken record. But I'm just absolutely in love with the idea that the Rivers of America was never designed to be an amphitheater. Like, Mm -hmm. the guy and gal that stood on the shores and go, we're going to put people here. We're going to do a a parade on the water. We're going to put a screen back there. Like, the idea of turning that crowded, congested area Of Disneyland into an amphitheater, it blows my mind. So I Mm -hmm. always love the evolution of the parks and the fact that somebody's like, you know what we need to do to uh, Hong Kong is we need to give it a new castle. Oh, tear the old Mm -hmm. one down. Uh, Let's just, let's just build on, because think about if you took your home and you decided to add on 12 stories, what an undertaking that would be. So I'm pretty, um, kind of blown away at the. The practicality of taking a castle and building out on it. And I wonder all the crazy theming. It represents what, like twelve different stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that a practical were they forced to do that? right like mm. was that a design decision or was it like look because this is so crazy and we have to do so many different structures let's kind of give them their own vibe because it's going to be very hard to do this extension and give it a unified look like that part I'm fascinated to know
1: yeah uh Again, I I like the concept of this thing very much. The the problem, and I think it might work better if you were working off of the Cinderella castle, because I Mm. think that thing lends itself more towards sort of an expansion because it is so, it goes up vertical like crazy. And ours is kind of squatty. middle ground. Yeah. So to me, it seems like a little like if they just maintained the the aesthetic of the little castle and expanded on that and just gave you sort of more of that, um, I think that might have been a nicer fit. Um, as for the story aspect of it, yeah, I think you're right. It's like they needed sort of a, a reason to go in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, it, it's not being labeled a Cinderella castle or a Sleeping Beauty castle. It's it's a castle of stories or whatever. I'm not, do they have a name for it?
0: Do they call it? It's the Castle of Magical Dreams. Castle of Magical Dreams, yeah. <laughs> because so- it's not adhered to one princess or one story where we are here Uh, in in California, in Florida, in Paris, where each of those is attached to one character. So I would say something like Paris took the basic
1: kind of Disneyland concept, but did such nice things to it to really expand on that. They had the space. They they could plan around that space at the beginning. So I would have liked to have seen something more like that. Like, you know, the stylized trees around Paris, like that just adds so much to that overall appeal without going like, we're going to just completely reconceptualize this castle. So again, if I never saw the other castle previously, I might come and think that it's really like different. But all I can see now is this contrast between what was there before and then all these other stories that are just going on. I think they did capture a lot of
0: stories but that could be sort of the good and bad of it right like it's too many stories well it's an interesting take to make it sort of the diversity castle where it's Mm -hmm. all these journeys all these heroes all these princesses you know it's a very interesting take on how do we make it different from everything i look at it as a worthy experiment but Mm -hmm. i believe the core expectation of going into a Disney park is a castle that feels a little bit more grounded in reality, and I have to say that out of all the parks—and granted, I haven't been to all of them—but just looking at it on paper and also having the pleasure of seeing three out of the six in the, the real world, I think hands down the Paris Castle is the best of all, and and I believe it, it's because of the its connection to the landscaping around
1: it. Yeah, it the the, the Hunger Castle reminds me sort of like a. Like, you take a great song, and then you do the club remix, right? And and it's like, oh, the basic is still there, but there's so much more. Hey,
0: you've seen me get lit on Main Street when they did the Frozen remix in Mickey's Mix Magic. (laughs) Like, I'm almost pulling my shirt off in the club, like, dancing on a garbage can (laughs) on Main Street. Like, I love that Frozen remix.
1: Yeah. So I think it's like that. Like, it's the same chance that you take with that, right? Right. You can either completely alter the song. And so it's like, well, it's not really the same song anymore. It's just a dance song. Um, or, you know, do you just kind of build off of what's working? So I don't know. But again, it's a castle that is that is beautiful. And so this is sort of getting into the
0: nitty gritty of it. So you're saying that it's the Cher I Believe in Love Club remix where Cher made one song do you believe in love? Whatever that song was. And then there was just like an endless (laughs) amount of club remixes for it. It would (laughs) go on forever. I like that theory. Um, So you and I have both had the benefit of working with sleeping beauty's castle as an icon when -hmm. working directly for the park and you way more experienced than me, but I thought it would, we have a unique advantage of talking about working with sleeping beauty's castle um, as a subject. When working, mm-hmm. to, you know, not a not a fan thing, not a boat leg thing, but actually right. working with it with Disney. Um, when I made my print that featured it, yeah. I, I really wanted to capture the way that it felt to a child, and not the way that a camera could capture it, because it's actually a very hard thing to photograph. There's only mm-hmm. one clear shot, and it always is covered in people. But you, doing the Kingdom of Cute and what you do. Whereas I try to make it feel big and honor it and make it feel like a, a memory you 've always downscaled it and simplified mm-hmm. it and i 'm curious you 've been successful doing that with the characters. How different is your bag of tricks when applied to an inanimate object uh, so the castle
1: I think pre- presents some very specific challenges, and I do yeah. it every time I have to do this castle I get or any castle, I get kind of like uh. Like, it's, it's fun and exciting because it is so iconic, but um, then people do know it very well. And, and people don't know it as well as they think they know it. Yes. So when you, you can sit f- down and... You can you, fib it a bit, right? And yeah, they'll still yeah, think sure. it's Sleeping Beauty. Because when you sit down to do it, suddenly things start not making sense. When you're flattening it out and trying to do it in a design sense, you're like, oh, that's actually a little off. You right. Know, like, it's not all, you know, symmetrical and, and, and depends on how you look at it or... or Even the popular view of it. So, if you've never looked at it from this angle, people aren't gonna recognize some of these things. So, you start like making things smaller and like moving things over and like reducing the number of whatever, uh, you know, blocks or bricks in a certain area. For me, I get so wrapped up in being sort of reverent of the design that I start losing my um, what I'm trying to do and sort of simplifying it and making it more toy like and cute. And so, it's this constant push and pull of I'll do it once over, come back to it the next day and be like, nah, this looks like a crappy version of the castle. You need to soften it and chunky it up, you know, like make it make it a little bit more appealing. So to me, it's like a caricature where you're going back and forth between right. doing like a portrait and a caricature and which way do you go too much and then it doesn't look like it anymore. But, um, you know, with Disneyland specifically, I think the color scheme really carries the day where you're like yes oh, that's the disneyland castle yes uh, the other castle's a little bit harder to fudge with and i just don't know the other castles as well but um it's one of those challenges that i love to do hate to do and then you just cross your fingers and, and hope it works out yeah there's like two or
0: three pieces on top that if you basically that main center spot if you get that main sloping roof with the tower above it and you got it you know gray on the bottom light blue mm-hmm. and the 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 pinks there and the cream people know what you're looking at even though you right. could be so far off from what's accurate and when i was putting it together it's an incredibly hard architectural thing to illustrate because it's breaking all the logic that you have in your brain like i've mm-hmm. done landscape illustrations for los angeles san francisco chicago you know brooklyn like i've illustrated so many real things and this one is so different because you're like, oh, right. How, how many of their rules do I break in my illustration? Because this castle defies all common sense in the mm-hmm. world of architect and, and design. But you don't see that when you're standing on the compass rose in front of it. You just believe right. what's in front of you. But when you really break that down with an intelligent, trained like architectural design mind, this thing's a mess.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like when you tell people the the long standing thing of like draw a bicycle from memory. Yeah, uh, you just can't. People have a hard time with that. I, I think it's the same thing with the castle. If you had to draw it without reference, it'd be completely wrong. Right, things would be very symmetrical. It would have that sort of sandcastle approach of like one, two, three. And it's <laughs> not that at all. And there's a bridge, and uh, you know, like it's just all these different elements that you don't quite see that's there until you start really dissecting it from all these different angles and it kind of branches out in a weird way it's scattershot it like yeah yeah it becomes like a wall more yeah. than the castle but you need some of that there and do you stop at the turrets or go beyond and a lot of different different things that the tricks start
0: coming to the foreground quickly it's also really weird how its stopping point is very you know it's Snow White part of it now because technically from behind it is but from this direction it's not like that whole area like foot by foot they made a lot of creative decisions and you know when they were trying to figure out what to put there you know Herb Ryman's original pitches were much taller bigger scale and and Walt giving him a lot of credit like creatively he was worried that something too big would be too intimidating but I always think about eventually they got to where they're at imagine at some point her Ryman could walk through the park. And you mean, you and I can say, hey, I got to draw that for the company. And you're like you, right, I made a right. toy of that for Disney. Like what an amazing <laughs> right. honor that we've both shared. But imagine walking by and seeing a line of people take a photo in front of that. And you're like, yeah, I remember when that was a pencil sketch that I inked, that we colored, that we sent over to the architectural department that got built. And they're like, I built this icon. That if you had to appraise it, it's got to be one of the most valuable buildings in all of America.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's like a, yeah, because it's such a historical thing, right? In in a way that I don't think any of the other castles possibly can be. No,
0: no. And, you know, there's been this dumb, dumb theory. I heard they're taking Disney and they're moving to Texas. Yes. That castle alone is one of the reasons why you could never move Disney. I mean. This is the only park that Walt ever stepped in. It was designed by him and the original core brain power of this magical company that revolutionized the way that the 20th century looked as far as entertainment, both in the real world and on screen goes. Like there's so much history rooted into what Disneyland actually is in this castle. If for whatever reason, the company ever went belly up or they couldn't reopen, you know, for sure. That somehow they would be like, well, we've got to take apart that castle and put it in the Smithsonian. Like, there's no way this thing ever gets put in the trash pile or gets bulldozed down or rebranded Six Flags castles over California. Like, it is an icon to America, just not too far down the list of, you know, the Statue of Liberty or the St. Louis Arch. Like, it is on that scale of national monuments in our country. And I don't think many people equate that.
1: Yeah, no. That's why it's all symbolic. The emotional right. value of this thing is so much more than its its pieces, or, or you know, because you would have thought by now they would have said, "Hey, let's just uh, this is Disneyland. Let's tear this one down and make a better one." You know, like <laughs> it should be the jewel of the of the theme parks, but um, no, just the opposite.
0: Right? right. Like, do not touch it. It is <laughs> just the, keep it as it. Probably the most sacred thing. Like, if it was on fire and they could fix, they could just pull air vac one building out. For sure, Mm -hmm. that's the thing that they're pulling out. And it's also crazy because, you know, I know that they put the walkthrough in it a couple years later, and that's had several different transformations. That walkthrough doesn't mean anything to me. Not that I don't Mm -hmm. like it. Not that I don't enjoy that type of design and the little vignettes, but that walkthrough, when I think about my love of Sleeping Beauty's Castle, the walkthrough is just a thimble of my overall like love of the it's just a drop in the bucket of how much I love this castle and the walkthrough has nothing to do with any of that
1: transition it's all transition yeah, right? like, yeah. <laughs> and what's on the other side is fantastic uh, but uh, just uh, yeah it's not it's it's not the portal it's a portal that's what it is it's like a portal not so much a feature of the, of the castle
0: so yeah with navigating through the castle out of the three different entrances which one is your favorite do you like going through the main one? Do you like those wild windy roads where I remember the first time that I went through the, um, uh, fantasy fair entryway. Mm-hmm. I was like, am I allowed to be over here? Like I love those. Right. Am I allowed to be here? Areas in Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. After I discovered that there were multiple ways to kind of go through the castle and the castle was also part of what I referred to as the outer hub where you can mm-hmm. navigate from land to land without ever actually going to the hub. I find that I can't even remember the last time that I actually walked through it, like through the, the straight forward part, because to me, it always feels so special to go on one of the two sides of the east or west that flank it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I rarely go through. It's also very congested yes. right there and everyone's taking pictures and you kind of want to stay out of the way there, especially during the holidays or at night when it's lit up. So I do usually tend to go the, the Fantasy fairway mm. um, as opposed to the other side, uh, unless I'm specifically going to see the fountain or something like right. that. Um, but usually I try to actually avoid the castle at all costs <laughs> because it's so busy. So, you know, you end up coming around the other side uh, through, uh, you know, by galaxy's edge entrance there, or all the way around from uh, Matterhorn side. Um, so I do find it's rare that I'm trying to get right through the, because then you come right into the congestion yeah. the fantasy land and, the carousel and all that stuff so it depends like if you're with people and you want to show them and everyone wants to
0: go through the castle so yeah it just depends don't you miss that navigating the park just oh for sure, knowing just like all those trails, like you're telling that all to me, and I'm just seeing it in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go this way. I'm gonna bob over to yeah. the left. Like I love it so much.
1: Or like when your guests are like, uh, you know, they're kind of through with like seeing everything, and you're just like, okay, we got to get from here to here. Here's how we're gonna
0: do it. Yeah. Stay close. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I I talk about this a lot with Philander, but I always love the impractical person in your party. Where it's um, nine thirty at night, you're in Galaxy's Edge, and they go, I want a corn dog. You're like, yeah. well, you know what? Where they sell the corn dog is on the other side of the parade, the other side of Fantasmic, the other side of the fireworks. So right. your corn dog quest, which to you just sounds like, would well, probably take me ten minutes to walk over there, five minutes to wait in line, bro. That's a two hour conquest to get that corn dog. And exactly. Get back to exactly. Edge.
1: Uh, it's hard to kind of sit back and not be the tour guide and say like that's completely yeah. impractical. We are not running over to DCA right now. We'll yes. see that later. Yeah,
0: you don't yeah. want to be like. Hey, let me break it down to you. It's corndog or four more attractions in a nighttime show. How bad do you need it, baby? How bad do you need it? Uh, When I think about, though, the evolution of the castle, I think probably more... Uh, severe than putting that walkthrough through the inside, which I'm sure right now I'm getting walkthrough hatred. That's the best mm-hmm. thing of the park, Bricky. You don't understand it. I think the biggest transformation to the castle, though, is the advent of those two little projection towers that mm-hmm. showed up for the 60th anniversary and just now how well they have it digitally image mapped, how it's become even more a part of the park and its emotional attachment to it. Now it's the storyteller. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's—I it, love that it sort of bleeds out into the hub a little bit, like yes. that. And it kind of, it, you know, takes that whole area, which is nice. It's just amazing to me. It's one of those other things too that shows how Disney, like uh, Disneyland, has to use every yep. little piece of land it has, right, to make it a stage for this time, but then make it practical uh, during the day. And, and it's just great to see how they're able to do it. It's like when you're talking about Fantasmic too. I remember going to the very first summer Fantasmic came out. And I believe at the time that we were told it was going to be temporary. (laughs) It wasn't going to be a permanent thing. And so you better come and see it while you can. It's only a summer thing. It's only at night on these days, like on weekends and and stuff. Um, And and you walked through it even back then. And you thought, they can't maintain this. This is terrible. There's so much crowd and stuff like that. They've gotten so good over the years of like... You know, getting that thing just perfect. I think it's the same way with the hub and the castle and making sure that we need this practical lighting thing, but how do we make it look like it's part of the park area?
0: Yeah, it was interesting too to see Walt Disney World's reaction to a holiday season where they couldn't do fireworks because of social mm-hmm. distancing and how they did a castle that transformed every 15 minutes into a different castle mm-hmm. and how people would watch that and when you also think about Walt Disney World and what they've been able to do with Cinderella's castle, um, its scale and how they have that entire performance stage out front, yeah that could just never, ever happen in Disneyland. I mean, un- right. unless you want to get rid of the moat and you just want to go straight hub to Castle Edge, I mean, we just do not have the footprint for more than what we have right now, which in a very interesting way, you know that it's small you you know that it's so out of proportion but man if it isn't charming and if it doesn't somehow mean so much to all of us and i think we could ponder this forever i just was trying to think about it when i was working on this episode why does this one little weird building make us all so damn happy
1: (laughs) well i think that i think it does uh like we said, it is the heart of it without being the thing you do at Disney, yeah. right? Like, it's so symbolic and it means so much. I think that's why you look at something like World of Color, which I do very much like, World of Color. Um, the fact that you know that whole area was set up for this thing and that there's these areas to stand and, you know, sure. they can easily stanchion off everything. It takes some of the charm out of it because you're like, well, they, you know, it's not like, oh, they we just cheated. have to be catching the show. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, so I, I think that's what Disneyland has a lot of going for it Too do that, you, that. You're kind of always aware that this wasn't the intention. We're just making the best of what we have here. And it feels very like off the cuff in a way that the other parks don't, when everything is so set up for like, this is for big crowds and this is a big walkway and things like that. So uh, that's why I really like the scale of our park so much. Again, not very practical no. for as far as theme parks and crowds, but it's what makes you really like something that so simple just gets heightened when you're doing it in Disneyland.
0: And that was the uh, surprise love that I had for the park. Visiting it for the first time ever as an adult, as I've said before, somebody that had spent a lot of time working in the idea of design. How do you make mm-hmm. ma- visual magic tricks happen? How do you how do you wow people with the space, the environmental design around them? And when I went into California Adventure, I'm like, this is pretty cool. But then when I went across the Esplanade and I went into Disneyland for the first time, I was like, Whoa, this yeah. feels somewhere between museum, historical site, forward facing theme park. Like, I didn't know what exactly I was walking through. I just knew that it was capturing all of my senses in a very in- intelligent and emotional way that I hadn't felt before. And when I got to the castle and I looked at it and I thought about, like, this is the only one that the guy that started all this ever really walked through and then when we explored um you know great moments with lincoln and i saw mm-hmm. the bench and the you know the carousel horse and the popcorn cart and and the photo of just walt like with his pants up to his nipples being like yep just walking <laughs> through my theme park no big deal hopefully this rain dries up and we can get 500 people in here today like there was just <laughs> such a charm and um entrepreneurialism to it you know what i mean Mm. that one guy could kind of come up with this thing and and change the world over and you know i'm all for scale and exploration and trying new things and i was enamored when i saw what they had done with the shanghai park in china and i think what i like most about that castle is the courtyard and the footing all around it. Because they now know the castle is a giant movie screen. They know it's a giant performance theater. That castle literally does sit inside of an amphitheater. But the scale of that castle, it looks like an American mall. It's like a Mm. big cube in the middle of it with pieces coming off. And You know, the Chinese are very proud people. We have to have the biggest the most expensive looking castle because that's on brand with who we are as a people. And it accomplishes all of those things, but falls so short on the charm that we have on the castle. That's the exact opposite of it. The smallest, the rinkiest dinkiest one that you could imagine. It's, it's funny when you look at the, the oldest and the newest, just the distance between the two oh
1: for sure and i've had to draw that castle too and that thing is a beast (laughs) it's (laughs) insane how big they made it it's just nuts it's like castles on top of castles (laughs) which is just crazy um but yeah i agree i mean it seems inevitable right like just like we've said before disneyland would not be made this way today Uh, as we see with you know apparent in these other parks there isn't there there isn't an attempt to capture this charm again it's more to uh, accommodate the crowds that will inevitably come i think we saw a little bit of it in paris yeah. which they explored nicely in that imaginary story how they went so like kind of uh, hardcore into the beauty and the charm of it more so than like wider pathways and uh, you know more access to these things um, and that didn't quite work for a lot of reasons not because sure. of that but paris also but had a very
0: a beautiful park paris also had a very unique obstacle that they were for the yes. first time ever building a castle in a land where castles exist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's like yeah, local yeah. competition we're like, oh, "What the hell am I looking at?" So it had to go it had to skew more fantas fantasful because I mean, seeing an amazing architecture right. in Paris is like throwing a stick. You're <laughs> like, "Oh, there's right. another one. There's another one over there." So it had to go in a more uh, exaggerated way whereas mm-hmm. the other castles were Pretty much in castle-free environments. What do you think of this more to um, sort of high-gloss rose gold version of Cinderella for the 50th anniversary out in world? Have you seen that much? Uh,
1: just some basic early on stuff, but. Um you know, I don't have such an emotional tie to that castle, so I, I get you know, I, I'm a little bit more like, Oh, that's kinda cool or you know, oh, that looks nice or and then you're kind of thinking like, Oh, it'll probably change after so many years, yeah. it'll stick around for a while or something like that. there'll be another anniversary and then it'll be some other some other thing. So I, I don't know, I feel i like I I'm much more like when our Disneyland castle went from that aqua to more royal blue, that to me was more like eh, I'm not sure. Um, so with Florida and all the other parks, they tend to be like, oh,
0: okay, sure. You know what I like most about that recent transformation that we had uh, for Project Stardust is I love the patterns that they painted on the rooftops. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that shade of blue, I feel like Disney buys it in bulk because that <laughs> that shade of blue that can also drift into a weird sort of purple Mm -hmm. It's like such a signature weird Disney color that you don't see anybody else really use. It's on the major signs around the park. There's a lot of it in the Hollywood backlot area where I'm like, do they just get this on discount? Like it is such a weird Disney blue that nobody else uses. Uh, It's as if gradient was built into the paint. Yeah, you know, (laughs) which is not. That's a hard thing to do. Like it takes a skilled laborer to know how to start a building, start a wall off like, you know. 90 80 70% darker than where it's going to taper off to in the top right. and not let that easily be seen uh by the visual eye but right. I really I love this building so much I think it means so much more to us than what it is like it mm-hmm. it truly does invoke like imagination uh inspiration like it is just so much more than what it is and there's been very few moments in my life. Like the only other thing that I can think of in my adult life when I stood next to a building that really invoked us was looking at the Lincoln Memorial. There's something about the Lincoln Memorial that just mm-hmm. got me. And knowing that you can stand right where MLK stood and gave that speech over the reflection mm-hmm. pool. like. I don't know, there's something weird about a building that is privately owned that invokes this much patriotism, nostalgia, and just overall love for everything that came before you.
1: Yeah, no, definitely for sure. And can you imagine saying like, well, let's do a a West Coast version of the monuments out here uh, (laughs) and we're going to paint it. Ours is going to be color.
0: (laughs) Hey, our statue of Lincoln, he stands up. How crazy is that? (laughs) uh, So when we look at this whole build out of Sleeping Beauty's castle and what it means to everybody it's very interesting that I think that they miss a huge opportunity for the storytelling of the castle in the mm. first part of today's episode the book report of today I talked about how the drawbridge was closed so that they could open it for opening day when the night demanded that it be opened on behalf of children around the world and then they closed it again in eighty. 80- Three for the so they could reopen it. Tony Baxter wanted them to reopen it for the new fantasy land, a new entryway into it. I think that they should have closed the gate for a third time sometime in 2020, just as symbolism. Like, I feel like on this July 17th, when they couldn't open for the 65th anniversary, I think that day they should have put up footage of the drawbridge going back up, just as a symbolism (laughs) of this is the... I mean, it was weird because nobody knew how long this would go on, so yeah, it's not like right. they had a moment to plan for, like, don't forget to get your annual pass, because we're closing for a year. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just feel like at some point this year, they should have just closed the drawbridge as a symbolic moment.
1: Right, right, right. That would be uh, heartbreaking. It would be succinct. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be on brand. But it... Yeah, it would be so heartbreaking to see that. Um, And I think it would be sort of like, um, I mean, it's nice that they could do it when the park does finally reopen. right? And maybe not in any, some kind of low capacity thing, but like when we're fully back on or something like that, they do some symbolic thing or something like that. I think that would be super nice. But gosh, to see that thing close and be like, sorry, folks, sad face on the (laughs) other underside of the bridge. (laughs) You know, uh, that might be a little too
0: much i don't know for me i just feel like it would have been a really celebrational moment and not all celebrations have to be happy you know like this is we have all lived through one of the most defining moments in the history of the park and the corporation uh congratulations everybody but uh Mm -hmm. i i just feel like you know There will be some things that happen afterwards, like post 9 11, like taking the shoes off. Like the park will for sure ever be different. Yeah. But I just wish there was, they they could have capitalized and not in a monetary way, but in an emotional way to signify, you know, there's a really good chance that not one guest will get inside of the park in its entire 65th year. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. insane for a place that had only had three unscheduled closures in its first 64 years. Like it's just insane. Uh, Yeah, it's nuts. Jared, you feel like um, talking a little bit about the annual pass bomb that dropped last week.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I think I'm bad luck moving down to Southern California. I think I took care of
0: everything by by moving down here. Well, I (laughs) wanted to... Who would have thought? I wanted to talk to you today, not only to record this episode, but to tell you that I put a deposit down on a place for you in Sacramento. Because I feel (laughs) like... Disney days were better when you were just staying at the Majestic across the street.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Like, I couldn't have had worse timing for this. Yeah, thing. for those
0: of you that don't know, when Jared used to come to town for signings or meetings with Disney, he and I would always plan a day. We'd rip the park and record it in his hotel. And the whole idea of this project became like, hey, let's let's kind of document what we're doing and our love for the park as artists and designers. Um, and then Jared's like, hey, I'm actually moving to Orange County. And I think that we had um, two months, 60 days yeah. of the good life before it all <laughs> fell apart. I, I came down in October, officially moved in December. I was doing a little back and
1: forth there. So uh, uh, it was a I sad... got a lot of stuff out of the way, but uh,
0: yeah, just getting started. I remember in October when you were living in a sad dad pad. Yes, yes no <laughs> furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of snacks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but so great back then because I wasn't home. Like it's, you were out and about the whole I time. Now it couldn't be more opposite. Different
0: life. So when I covered over on YouTube, Ken Potrock's statement, I really broke it down as we have two major obstacles. We don't know when we're going to reopen. We don't know what our capacity is going to be, and we're hitting the anniversary date where if we're closed for a year, that means every single pass has lapsed. Mm-hmm. How do we? give people back the days that they paid for some people might argue well you were closed a year and a half and i didn't get a year and a half well then you also didn't renew in october like the logistics on bringing the passes back to life absolutely business nightmare also the logistics of keeping ap's happy Mm -hmm. When the park has a limited capacity and a reservation only system, like legally I pay to go there every single day. So if I can't get a reservation on Tuesday, I have a good gripe if I wanted to be somebody that was willing to complain. Mm -hmm. So those two things to me signified that they needed to do a hard reboot. When I read Ken Potrock's uh, press release, I saw a lot of optimism and hope in there on new membership, new program, flexibility, like, Something that was designed in 1983 doesn't work for where we're headed in late 21, summer 21, 22. So I was a little bit amazed at how many people were being really negative and really like like pouting about it. Like, is my heart broken? Absolutely. Is this going to change my life as a fan and as a content creator, you better believe it. Am I stressed out about it? Yes, but I'm also not giving up. Like, I feel like we all just have to band together as the community that we allege that we were get through a really rough six to 12 months. I don't Mm -hmm. see them not bringing back some sort of past program or some sort of interesting new take on multi visits that are affordable. I just don't see them not doing that. Um,
1: you know, it's like th- this is one of those Disney debates that it's both emotional and primarily financial. Uh, everything is, I guess, but this one in particular. And so it gets touchy because there are things we don't know. I would hate to assume I understand the financials of how the annual pass thing works for the company. Sure. I don't. Um, and there's a lot of things. And, and you can even tell in recent years, especially when we started getting close to Star Wars opening, uh, where, where there's this sort of weird feeling about the annual pass holders. Like, you guys are great we love you but you're becoming sort of a problem more than you are helping right uh so would you be okay if we closed off galaxy's edge for a year to you guys and let you come in later oh, okay sorry sorry, <laughs> sorry sorry Sorry. no 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 problem no problem uh, but they're starting to get that kind of thing like where it's not filling the parks on the empty days it's filling the parks every day yeah except when star wars land open uh, but even that it's pass holders that are still coming and filling the rest of the park so it felt like some big change was coming. And so, well, this is the perfect opportunity. And for just the reasons that you mentioned that it's going to be a nightmare to try to make this right and fair and everything. So I agree. I think something will come back. I think something will come back when we are clear of like low capacity days and, and just things not being completely open. And I think it's for the better that people aren't coming every day to say, Oh, we can't get on this ride or we couldn't get in today. or We had to wait four hours. Um, a myriad of reasons why this makes sense, but the emotional side is there too, where I am sad to live this close and, and not be able to go. I will say if they were to offer some weird Southern California pass again where you could come on Thursdays between, you know, two and 10. See you Thursday. I'll take advantage <laughs> of it. take full advantage of it. And I will be there from two to 10. Um, so, but I'm an adult, so I can sort of roll with that, uh, you know, but I, I get why for some other people it's sort of, frustrating but i I think a lot of disney love gets translated into this weird aggression it does Uh, it does and it's just because they're so passionate about it but um, no i'm not angry about it it seems like everything's up in the air right now
0: yeah i mean does it change all of our lifestyles and how we were able to use the park absolutely but when Mm -hmm. i first came out here as an adult i'm like this is supposed to be a once in a year vacation the fact that there are people that make this a once in a week or daily occurrence, it just it blew my mind as an outsider. And one of the things that I've become very aware of is an out-of-towner, very, very real dislike for AP holders. Yes. There are a lot yes. of out-of-town. Finally, finally it's not going to be flooded with all these people. Finally we get the park back. Finally it's the it's now fair for everyone. And I just want to talk to a little bit to people that have that mentality. Although I don't know if you can actually talk to them. Let me tell you about Disneyland. If the state of California says you can have 10,000 people in the park a day, I'm just picking a number off the top of my head because it's an easy mm-hmm. number, 10,000. And they start to realize that post-COVID, due to finances, due to fear of being around people that are only getting 6,000 people in the park a day, Disneyland's going to find a promotion to backfill that extra 4,000. They're going to put out a pass mm-hmm. that's good Monday through Wednesdays or you know, buy this one ticket for $700 and you can go 10 times for the next three months Disney is always going to find a way to hit that capacity so yeah you're right you may experience a Disneyland that has a smaller capacity but that will be state mandated and if you're living under this illusion that now the APs are gone and you're going to get to stroll to the park and everything's a walk on and you won't ever have to wait to buy an item uh, to wait to, for a table. Like it's just all going to be waiting for you. You are so out of touch with reality. The park will forever be 10, 20% away from the number that they try to hit every day because you know why? It's called It's a Business. And it's an expensive mm-hmm. business to run, but also very profitable because of so many passionate fans. So I just want to sort of break down. It's not the APs that flooded the park. It was Disneyland that flooded the park. And that's right. where they liked it to be. Very, very profitable. Yes, exactly. I agree. And I think
1: um, see again, that's the I think that's the financial and emotional side that a lot of people don't want to. It's the business side yeah. of it. I mean, yeah, that's a funny... To me, it's always like people are at the stage now where it's like, well, I didn't get in, so it's unfair. Yes. It's not that the policy is unfair or that there's anything else going on here. It's just that I didn't get what I wanted, so it's unfair, and I'm just going to stand by that That you know that case. I would like that to offer for people like us... A bench pass. I promise <laughs> I will not get on a single ride. I will just be in the park <laughs> not causing any problems. I'll buy merchandise. I'll buy food. I'll buy the popcorn bucket and I won't get on a ride. I promise. Just let me
0: be in there. You made the joke over in our thread of buds that it's going to go back to ticket books. And I thought, <laughs> oh my Lord, I will clean up in the ticket book days because I literally don't care if I ever ride an attraction again for the rest of my life. I just love being in there. And in fact, <laughs> Let it be known for the record. I'm still going to the park once a week and sitting on a bench for an hour every week when there's nothing to do. Like mm-hmm. I sat at the as far as you could go in Hollywoodland, easily the worst land of the resort. <laughs> and I listened to 90 minutes of Christmas music. I said, "I'm going to sit yeah. here and wait till this loops." And I let right. it loop twice. Right. I like sat on a bench by myself thinking about the year where i wanted to go like i really had an introspective trip and i'm pretty sure the security guard that was next to me was like i don't know if i should feel sorry for this guy if i should be envious (laughs) of his flexible time or is he is 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 this guy like a security threat like i'd have no idea what the guard that had to babysit me on the other side of that little rope was thinking yeah but dude you want to go back to e-tickets I'm there every day. I'm there. I'll I'll pay that admission and sit on that bench. (laughs) Exactly.
1: See, and and to me, obviously, for me, that's that's what I'm going to miss the most. Right, the the flexibility to come at eight o'clock at night and just ride out the rest of the evening and not not feel pressure to do anything else. Um, But again, that's you know, I think it was a luxury. The advantage, yeah, the advantage for us living so close is that whatever they come up with, we'll probably be able to take advantage. Sure you know, we're not having to schedule a trip from the middle of the country to try to be out here on a Wednesday to, to hit these things. Um, Even if it's like, well, you can go to California on these days, uh, but not on these days, whatever they offer, I'll be like, great. I'll take it. You know, I'll I'll go ahead and do that. Um, And I imagine, you know, that's going to come with a difference in price. Maybe not, initially but some modification of that right you so it's maybe not more expensive but you're getting less than what we got before or something. i'm prepared for
0: all of that i have a very unique problem moving forward into the reopening it's a first world problem for sure it's a very it's a first mm-hmm. class first world problem but yeah as a content creator um i now have to figure out an affordable budget to get into the park to, to yeah. create a lot of content so now i'm like Do I go from show up late and close guy to get there at open, stay till close. So you can make enough content in one visit to, you know, disperse that out over a content schedule. I'm also going to be somebody in the short term. That's going to be very curious about what kind of multi-day tickets do they offer? And Mm -hmm. what is the, you know, if it's a two day ticket and they have to be used in succession, well, that really doesn't do me any good. But if it's a two day ticket that has to be used in 30 days, Now I'm all ears. So there's definitely going to be a lot of sort of strategically playing the ticketing system. Also, I have to make sure as a consumer, I can't give them more money than what my pass costs, Mm -hmm. because now I'm rewarding them for giving me less access. So I have to make sure that I spend less than $1,400, because if I go in there and spend, you know, three grand on tickets, like well, why would we ever give this guy a pass again? You know, if everybody acts that way. So there's a lot of sort of strategy that's going to go into something that should just be leisure. And then the other thing I was thinking about, Jared, is like, well, if I'm going to the park by myself to just film and document and do my thing, and then a bud comes in from out of town, do I go, I'd really like to go with you. But uh, $375 this month in Disneyland tickets is just a little bit, uh, you know what I mean? Like, So that puts me in a weird position of... Well, yeah, I'm going to go to the park with you, but I'm going to be filming the whole day, and I'm going to be doing a live stream from 2 to 3, so don't talk yeah. to me. So, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces on how it's going to work, and I don't know. It It's nothing worthy of getting stressed out now because they... What I'm going to judge Disney by is this. Look how extremely cool they were with Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. Right? They handled Galaxy's Edge and a very cool... Access to everybody, no extra ticketed event. Like, they could have gone in some really slimy ways and been well within their rights, and they played it really cool. And I think that's the current mindset of the corporation. Let's be a friend to our customers, not somebody that's like trying to poach every nickel from them. Do do you? Mm -hmm. Am I wrong from seeing it that way? No, I think there's
1: a definitely a sensitivity to that. Yes, Um,
0: and, and. obviously
1: this is a consumer that is uh, very sensitive passionate <laughs> because it's so tied up in this like moral disney thing right like they always have to be doing the right thing now if magic mountain screws you over you're not like oh that's so not like magic mountain right. i expect more from magic mountain you don't uh, you're like good thing there wasn't a fight breakout here today (laughs) Um, so I think Disney has that extra layer of like oh my gosh we have to be so careful about how we word this how we do this how you know we make it available to everybody but not everybody um, that they have no choice but to be aware of that but you're right they are not taking this sort of like well that's what it is good luck Um, so but no matter what That seems to be the perception, right? So if it doesn't fit exactly what you were predicting or what you wanted, a lot of people get so bent out of shape that they're, oh, this is not how it would have been
0: under this guy. Well, I think the difference for fans like you and I, and I'm assuming most people listen to the show, Mm -hmm. is I love it as a place that I go as escapism. But I also love it as the canvas of art that it is from an intellectual, artistic way. But I also really love it as a business and how Mm -hmm. they're able to profit extremely off of this thing without really tarnishing those other two points of the, the triangle there, right? Like, cause the customer experience is inside of it's a business. It's a well-designed place. that makes your imagination go. And it's also an escape from the rest of your world. So inside of that area, none of those, the escapism doesn't really seem to tarnish the profitability. And the overall design and how it works doesn't, you know, mess with the escapism. So it's all of these peers or tiers I should say, make each other stronger. And as the user, you never feel tarnished from one of these overshadowing the other ones. And for people who go, little places where it's $5 bottles of water. I'm like, calm down. Go for a day yeah. and tell me if you don't see where that $5 is going for your bottle of water. Some people are right. on a budget and, and they'll always be mad at spending any dollar in their wallet. And that's up to them. But for me i like looking at it from a business and where it's going and and how all the moving pieces come together
1: yeah and i agree and again like i we are at a we are in a good position to live here to be this age to be to have a certain amount of uh you know uh, income to be sure. able to do this i get that all that comes into it um you can't sort of divorce Disney from the, the business side of it. But I, like I said, it's like a celebrity. The company is like a celebrity yes. that just has to hit everything perfectly. They can't just be a cold business, but they can't just be all heart and emotion. It, it, it's got to walk that fine line. And I think they do a, do, they do a fantastic job of that, when, especially in cases where they don't have to. Um, but I, I'm excited, too, because I think this is going to be the, a bit of a renaissance From this point on, there's going to be some bumps as we come out of this, uh, and maybe it's not not until 2022 where we start really seeing things sort of normalize into what the future is going to be. Not back to what it was, but whatever this new model is going to be. So I'm really excited because I think people are going to be so excited about the parks again in a way they haven't been in a long time. Um, And things won't be so built around the new attraction and the new popcorn bucket. It'll be this sort of general love for the park and the experience in general. So I think it'll be fun to watch this sort of grow again and to be a part of that process post this awful year uh, and to see how that sort of shifts the the direction for Disney in general.
0: You know how there was a moment in the 80s and 90s where it, mm-hmm. Disney wasn't cool? A little wobbly, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the culture that it is now. Do you think that there's any chance that this hard reset, APs, COVID, changing the landscape, do you think there's any chance that the park becomes less popular and kind of goes back to being more of an outsider's thing? I don't
1: think so. Um I- I'm thinking it's gonna just get uh, even more so especially because we've been it's been taken away from us yeah uh so um i i think you know and then the other facets of disney are becoming so strong so it seems like in previous years it was like theme parks are up but no one's watching the movies and oh now it's all espn that's running the company i feel like everything's running pretty on like high, you know, uh, awareness so that it just as things to do well on Disney Plus, that just boosters what's happening in the park. I feel like we just keep going in that direction. So we might see some traditional things change yeah. that we've been used to in the past, but I don't see a, a like a lull where it's like, oh my gosh, Disney's going to be sold to, you know, NBC or you know, something like that. Where it's where it's kinda of scary and, and uncertain. Um, it seems like more things are going in this Disney direction, they just continue to grow.
0: Yeah, Iger's strategy of top down synergy, you know, we make mm-hmm. IP that gets people excited as fans. That IP works its way over into merchandise, works its way over into the parks. Like you're right. When you look at how Disney Plus couldn't have come up at a better time to keep that customer relationship going when you didn't have a real world product to give them uh, whether it's going to the local cinema or going out to the resort. uh, I think you're right. I think that it keeps going that way. I just always heard the tales from sort of old Mm. schoolers like, well, it wasn't always popular. I came here when it was a nerdy thing to do. And I just was wondering like, does any part of this reset, get it back to those days because it was going through a complete golden renaissance right Mm -hmm. as covid sort of hit the shores and became what it was but i don't know it'll be definitely interesting to see where all this goes and it'll also be interesting to see what does the commitment to downtown disney become Mm -hmm. now that everybody can't get into the parks like they once could does downtown disney start to carry a little bit more of entertainment weight because that is the thing that you can go to. So is the new thing, you go to Downtown Disney, that's the bench that you sit on and you get all pumped up because, well, in two weeks, I have a reservation to get into DCA or Disneyland. I think that's going to be a very interesting space to watch in the future and a conversation to have down the road. Jared, sincerely, thank you so much for starting this project with me. Thank you for being a huge part of 50 episodes. Um, I know you're a busy guy and I try to never get too much in your your schedule with all the things you have going on, but... <laughs> this project that you and I started in happier days, it kept these dark days a very happy place for me to keep mentally going back into the resort, having these conversations with you whenever you had the time and anybody else that would have them with me. So I really, really want to thank you for being a big part of starting all of this with me, bud. Absolutely. Again, thank you for having
1: me. It's been been great. It's been, like you've said, a great way to sort of You know, we always want to talk about Disney, so especially in these times when we can't do it at the park, it's nice to be able to sort of see another face, talk about it in the same way that we both like it, and uh, just have an outlet for it when our our beloved park is not
0: accessible. And let me explain something to you guys about Jared. I've tried so many ways to penetrate and get inside of his COVID bubble, but he will not. (laughs) I have not seen Jared IRL since... The COVID hit the fan. He will. I've, I've tried to do like, um, let me give, bring you a Christmas dinner contact list. I was going to hide in the bush. And be like, Hi, Jared. He, I mean, I think we're still friends. I don't know. He, he, I cannot get inside of his COVID bubble. He will not let me in. The
1: castle drawbridge closed in March <laughs> and has not been open to this castle <laughs> until vaccination happened. He's not
0: lying. He is not lying. <laughs> the drawbridge is very strong. friends I tried to do the impossible and Jared helped me make it become reality on doing a podcast all about this place that we love but telling these stories telling the story of Disneyland in a way that I didn't see anybody else doing it sure working in all of the interesting facts and fiction that makes this park so beloved but really working in that emotional beat actually telling the story of Disneyland not just regurgitating all of the metrics. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And let me tell you, writing and recording and speaking out that opening monologue, sort of the book report of the episode, that was no easy task. It is very, very hard to put into words something that you love so much, but also trying to capture the way the rest of the world loves it. And I think when it's that difficult, it's a pretty good indication of just how much it means to everyone which is a fantastic theme to celebrate 50 episodes of a project that I can't even tell you how much it means to me to have this in my life, how this is able to find a path for me to fulfill what I've been wanting to do over on YouTube in a long time. And I seriously cannot thank you enough for becoming my friend, for becoming a fellow citizen of Disneyland with me and for not bragging that you have the button and poor old man Bricky doesn't. But I really want to just end today's episode. I thank Jared for starting this and partnering up and giving me the freedom to build it the way that made sense over the wild last year. But I definitely wanted to make sure that the last person that I said thank you to was you. So thank you. Whether it's your first episode or you've consumed all 50, thank you so much for trusting me to take you through the tunnel on the right and step into this place that we love so much. Friends, until the next time I see you standing on the compass rose in front of Sleeping Beauty's castle, I'll see you back here next Wednesday with another episode of Disneyland for Designers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that the memories you've made will bring you back again soon. While the rest of the park closes, Main Street will remain open for an additional hour for your shopping convenience. Thank you.